Grace, peace, and mercy to you from our Lord, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sermon text is Ephesians chapter 3 and Paul's prayer, which we just read. I am not a big social media fan. I look at Facebook occasionally, but not too deeply. It's a rabbit hole I really don't have time to go down. I found out a few weeks ago that a high school and college friend of mine had recently died. His brother was trying to locate me and sent me a message on Facebook in, I believe, January. You might take this as a warning that I will not find out of your family news on social media. I will not know you or a loved one is in the hospital or that you are now engaged. I will not see that you are expecting a child or that that child has been born. Call me. Call me so I can pray with and for you in both your joys and trials. This is what we do as Christians. We pray to God in heaven. On tools like Facebook or other social media, the depth of prayer is really hard to get across. A simple post can seem empty and void of real content. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen the responses, and if you are like me, you have even posted one or two yourself from time to time. Sometimes in responses to the most tragic events, we read things like, you're in my thoughts, as if our thoughts can do anything. Our thoughts are useless unless they involve our acting in some way. Or the response may just be prayers, or sending prayers, or lifting you up, which seems to be, I guess, some secret Christian code for praying for you. It begs the question, how should we pray for those in our lives and let them know our true hope and concern as Christians for them? Look at Paul's letter for the, to the Ephesians, or for the Ephesians, and, and the high points of what he prays for them. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What was going on when he prayed this for them? Paul was in prison, and the young, small church in Ephesus was in a bit of turmoil. And his fear was their losing heart, as he states in verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is to your glory. He was worried about trials and associated fear stealing their faith away from them. So what we have in verse 14 through 21 that we read is a prayer for them, that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith and that they may be filled with the fullness of God. When we hear of people going through difficult times, this should be our prayer for them as well. The answer to this prayer is that Jesus would dwell in the heart of that person we pray for. Faith is the only means for this to take place in any person. So, we pray that their faith would remain strong despite adversity. For those in Ephesus, this, the adversity was Paul's imprisonment and the question of, would they see him again? He prayed for their faith. 
The only way faith remains strong is by God empowering it through the Holy Spirit. And the only way that the Spirit empowers faint hearts is through the gospel. And that only comes as it is read, heard, or received in the Lord's Supper. Those having trouble need to hear the gospel. Yet it often happens that they pull away from the very thing that will strengthen them. And if they continue to not hear, their faith will fail. They need more than thoughts. They need to know that we are praying for God to fill them with all the fullness of Christ and the power that is in that filling. What power, you say? The indwelling of Christ brings peace, forgiveness, hope, life, and salvation to those who are troubled. It is our only hope in the most desperate of times. In our gospel lesson, the disciples are in a heap of big trouble. They have been on the lake in the middle of the night, fighting a wind for hours as they attempt to cross. It's probably about four or five in the morning. They're getting nowhere and likely fear for their lives. And Jesus was the one that put them in the boat and told them to cross the lake. Thanks. I wonder if at some point in the, con the conversation came up among these fishermen as to why they got in the boat at the behest of their teacher. They should have known the seas better. Why? Why would Jesus do this and let this happen to us? The mention of lakes and wind at this particular time in Indianapolis probably brings to mind the images that showed the horror of a duck boat going down in Missouri a week ago in the lives of nine members of a local family being lost. Perhaps you saw their picture. It was taken as they got on the boat. They were all smiles. Take the duck boat ride. Yeah, they were ready for a grand adventure, and tragedy struck. The question in many minds will turn to, why this event? Why, why would God let this happen? The simple answer is sin as in the sin that permeates our human condition and all of creation since the fall in the garden. This creation is no longer the friendly place God created it to be because of our actions, not his. Why do these things happen if God loves us? The devil loves questions like this. They isolate us from the facts and make it seem we are insignificant and that God has better things to do than look after us in our situation. This is likely what the apostles were thinking as they were on the boat rowing all night. But Jesus knew their peril. He could see from the mountain where he was praying to the Father for his own strength and theirs. He knew what was happening, and he went to them. He was praying to save them and to show them the enormity of his love for them through the power he had. When he walked out onto the water, they thought it was a ghost and were afraid. But he told them, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. Similar words were heard at the tomb when he was resurrected. He stepped into the boat and the lake went calm not so much as a word commanding it. And they were astounded, but they did not understand, despite all they had seen with the feeding of the 5,000 and the healings, 
their hearts were hardened. Their lack of understanding would only get worse as they approached Jerusalem, the betrayal, the cross, and Jesus' death. Yet, his presence in the boat was enough to bring peace to what was going on. It would not be until after the resurrection that the disciples would grasp with joy the magnitude of God's love for them. It would be at Emmaus, along the road where they were forlorn over the loss of their teacher, the prophet, possibly the Messiah, they thought. If those in Ephesus were upset with their leader alive in prison, imagine the sorrow of the disciples of the death of Jesus or the sorrow of a family that loses nine members in what was to be a fun outing on the water in Missouri. Then the breaking of the bread at the table, and the Emmaus disciples realize it is the risen Lord that has walked the road with them, explaining all that had happened. And he has shown them how he will now be recognized in the breaking of the bread and the sacrament. This Jesus, the Christ, is with us and in us, as we hear his word proclaimed and receive his sacrament. It is here we experience the enormity of God's love for us as we have faith in his words, take, eat, this is my body, take and drink, this is my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Faith goes beyond knowledge, and this is what Paul prays for in verse 19. He prays for faith that would let them know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Many people know of Jesus, but they do not have faith in Jesus. They believe in a historical Jesus that walked the earth and died. He was a teacher, a rabbi, a good moral person person we should seek to emulate. This is the Jesus the Emmaus disciples were mourning. But then they experienced the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and had faith in him as their savior that takes away their sin. We experience this as we hear the absolution in the name of Christ and know his love has paid the price for the forgiveness of all of our sins. It is faith to trust he is truly with us and in us strengthening us with his sacrament of the altar. Christ comes to us powerfully, just as mysteriously to our senses as he did to the disciples in the boat, to calm any situation we are in with his peace as we grow in faith and are filled with his presence. Our thoughts are with you. It doesn't cut it. Give them Jesus. Pray for their faith in the risen Christ and his love for them that can bring peace to whatever the storm is in their lives. Is that too much to ask of God? Paul closes this prayer with a firm no to that question. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. When it comes to faith, God will give us more than we can ever ask for as Christ is in us, growing our faith in him so that we may have peace in this life and hope of eternal life in Christ. That is really what we should be sending prayers about, that the fullness of Christ that dwells in those suffering would give them an abundance of peace and the promise of eternal life in Christ.
Amen. And now may this peace which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.